Well, good morning and welcome to worship. If you're joining us today um, and you are here for Anderson University's homecoming, a special welcome to you. Uh, I've met a few parents uh, of students today, so it's uh, good to have you here with us. Um, we do want to let you know that we're in a series called Build Your Life. And uh, when you're talking about building a life, um, it, it, we've looked into this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi uh, some a decade or so after he was there with them. And, and as he had, uh, had witnessed what God was doing in their lives, and then he wrote back to them to try to, to help them figure out how they keep building their life for Jesus Christ. And um, last week, we began to look at uh, the third chapter in this letter of Philippians uh, in your New Testament. And, and it's an interesting piece because in there, Paul talks about what it means to really value Jesus, to value Jesus more than anything else, more than your accomplishments, more than your failures, uh, more than your obstacles, uh, more than your your situation that you're in, but, but to trust him with everything you have um, and to really value him. And at the end of the passage that we read last week, Paul starts talking about what it means to, to, to really trust and seek after a, a relationship with Jesus that is monitored, dictated, uh, taken into consideration all the power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead. And he makes this interesting statement. He says, I count everything else in my life as garbage, uh, rubbish, loss, whatever you want to call it, so that, so that I can know Jesus. Because all of that fails in comparison to what Jesus can do in your life. And, and he, he says, you know, I really would count all of that loss just to be able to have the power of Christ and his resurrection at work in my life. And there's a temptation when you hear something like that, when, you, when you're reading it or when you hear somebody talk about how much Jesus means to them and how much they value it. There, there's, a, there's a temptation to, for us to look, look at people like that or to hear what they're saying and think, man, they have it all together. I mean, they, they really have made it. They have no problems in their life. Everything is just wonderful. And so Paul hastens very quickly after talking about what he really desires and what he values to talk about what it really means to trust God with your future. So listen as I read from Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, that power of the resurrection, nor am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward to what, uh, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. I, uh, I was raised in a family where my father had made two commitments, one to his in-laws and one to his family. Because you see, my father was in ministry. 
And we didn't know where God was going to call. He didn't know when he married my mom where God was going to call them. And some of you have heard me talk before that, that I, I grew up in a parsonage. I lived in um, seven different states before I got out of high school. I actually attended eight different schools um, in the first 18 years of my life. And, and so my dad, just because he wanted to make, keep connection with family, he made this commitment to always bring us to my mother's family at Christmas and to return to his family at the Thanksgiving holiday. And so for my entire growing up years, all the way through high school, that was what we did. When Thanksgiving week rolled around, we rolled into a place called Reedland, Kentucky, which is just outside of Paducah. And there I had all of these cousins that I really only saw once, maybe twice a year if something else happened and we came home. And yet there were, there were two of these cousins that were a year older than me. They are twins. Their names, Ricky and Randy. And Ricky and Randy were my heroes when I was growing up because they were the closest cousins. And, and I just always, you know, they were always, a, when we were young, they were a little taller than me. I still remember the Thanksgiving we went home and I was taller than them. It was like, yes. I have arrived, you know? And, and Ricky and Randy were, I, I love them dearly, and, and you know, their world was, every time I'd go to their house, their, their dad, my uncle, was always, was, was always into cars. I mean, from the earliest times, I can remember going to their house, and, and my Uncle Leonard would be working on a car, and, and um, found out he and his brother started customizing cars in 1949. And they would do that just for friends and for each other. And, and they started doing that. And, and that spilled over into Ricky and Randy. And for me, my world was always about what sport we were going to play next. You know, if it was fall, it was football. If it was winter, it was basketball. If it was spring, it was track. And if it was summer, it was baseball. And it just that was the way the seasons were measured in my house. But for, for Ricky and Randy, no, it, it, was, it was measured in the cars that they were always looking at in those magazines. And then when they got to be about 11 or 12 years old, they wanted their own car. And my Uncle Leonard knew that if they would start working on cars when they were, quite honestly, still in upper elementary school, that, that they would learn something amazing. And so I called my cousin Ricky this week to, to make sure I'm, I'm getting all the details right because I found out that my cousins are actually streaming the service, right? So when, you're, when your family's streaming the service to hear you preach, you want to make sure you tell the story right, Okay. And, and so I, I checked in with Rick to make sure. I said, hey, Rick, do you remember that time when, when, when you and Randy were like 13 years old and I was like 12, and you guys, you, you, you cut grass for like 3 or $4 a yard? And, but wouldn't you like to have somebody cut your grass for like 3 bucks a yard now? And, 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 and you went out and you, and you picked up pop bottles because um, in, in where their house was, there was a, a major road there, and people would just drive by and throw pop bottles out. And for those of you who are young, you don't remember the time when you could take a pop bottle back to the store and get a nickel for it, all right? I mean, you could take an empty pop bottle back to the store, they would give you money. I mean, it was their way of recycle, okay? And, and so we would take those, and, and they, they would gather, and they'd go out and down in the ditch, and they'd pick up the bottles, and then they'd mow the grass, and they saved up their money. I said, do you remember what that first car you bought? I said, I said wasn't it like a Ford Fairlane? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. It was a 1963 Ford Thunderbird. I said, oh, Really? Um, now, you know, you got to remember, this is probably the early 70s, a car, and, and they bought it from a junkyard. And what my Uncle Leonard did was he taught them how to work on the car. And so those two 12, 13-year-olds, it was in their, their, their seventh, eighth grade year, they actually 
mechanically, with their supervision of their dad, they actually rebuilt the engine in that car because it was in the junkyard. And they, and they had it, and, and when I showed up at Thanksgiving, they're like, hey, you wanna go for a ride in our car? I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool. I said, but you don't have a driver's license. We can't like go, no, well, no, you, you have to, we, we have to drive it in the pasture. I'm like, okay, good. We got a figure eight that we've moved. I said, great, there's only one problem. What, it only goes in reverse. <laughs> and so they, they drove that car in reverse in a figure eight, all right? And, uh, and I'm sitting there, and I, you know, like I say, I'm like 12 years old. They're like 13. I'm like, man, this is going to be great. And my mother looks at me and says, you are never getting in that car, all right? I've seen those boys drive. Now, why would I read you a passage from Philippians about the fact that Paul didn't think that he had already attained everything, that he's not perfect, and then tell you about my cousins, Ricky and Randy? Well, it's because of this. See, my cousins, Ricky and Randy, grew up uh, to be men who actually, along with their sons, now the third generation of their family, they build custom-built Mustangs. They own Duncan Brothers custom cars. In the first week of November, one of the cars that they have will be at the SEMA automobile show in Las Vegas. And that, that custom Mustang that they, in their company, have built with their with their sons who now do the same thing that they learned from their daddy for 70 years. My cousins and their dad and now their sons, they build custom cars that they are, this is not, a, you, you, unless, you're a, unless you are in the automobile industry, you are not invited to the place, the SEMA convention in Las Vegas where they will be showing a Mustang that they have customized. Some of you may get a chance to go up to Michigan and Detroit, and you might choose to eat at a Ford's Garage restaurant there, like the one down at Exit 210. And there, when they do a car show, my cousin's sons, I guess technically they're my cousins too, I just never can remember how, how many it is, first, second, third, fourth, whatever, all right? Um, but they will have their Mustangs on display. That's what they do. And those cars are beautiful. And that's the passion they have. But that ability they have to, to, to build a customized car that someone in this country will pay tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for, started with a 63 Ford Thunderbird that only ran in reverse and 13-year-old boys who were fixing it. And a 12-year-old cousin sitting there going, Mama, please let me ride in the car. And I'm saying, nope. Because you see, the perfection that those, those people will see in Las Vegas in the first of November, the perfection that looks, I mean, I've, I've seen the pictures. When I'm talking to Ricky on, on, on Friday, he's like, hey, Carrie, look, man, I mean, this thing's pretty. I'm like, yeah, I bet it is. So I pull up the pictures on the end. I'm like, oh, yeah, this thing, this thing is gorgeous. And he goes, and it'll go really fast. I'm like, you've never driven a car that wouldn't go really fast. I still remember when he got his first Mustang, and I will tell you, at 125 miles an hour on a country road in Kentucky, your pastor cries, all right? <laughs> I just let you know. It's like, no, take me out of here. And, and, and so I would tell you about that because here's what I know. The perfection that they'll see in Las Vegas People will look at that and go, wow, I wish I could do that. 
wow, I want to do that. I want to make something that looks that good. But can I tell you, they don't want to put in the 50 years of work that my cousins have put in. And they don't want to, they don't want to learn from their fathers the way my cousins learn from their father and the way their sons learn from them. And, and when, they, when, when they see that, they see that and they think, wow, if, if I could just have that. Well, see, there are some people who are looking at the church today. There's some people who are, who are looking at Christian people and they're saying, hey, you know what? If I could just be like that, if I, if I, if I could just be, and some of us in the church, we kind of like that. Uh-huh. We kind of like that ego stroke of, hey, man, somebody thinks I'm sharp. Somebody thinks I'm spiritual. Somebody thinks I'm good. Now, listen to me. The Apostle Paul said that he counted everything he had accomplished as rubbish. Because here's what we know. This, this, this life of the future, see, if you're going to build a life for your future, it's not about being a perfect person. It's about being a person who's being perfected. And, and that's a difference. That's the years of work my cousins have put in to be able to create a a vehicle like that. That's the years of of work and sweat many of you have put in to be experts in your field. It's that difference between thinking, okay, I I can just make a decision and then I'm proud. I've seen people say that. I've seen them come to altars and kneel down and get up and say, I'm never gonna mess up again. That usually lasts about 36 hours, Maybe not that long. And the fact is, God doesn't promise that. And, and if we promised that in the church, we promised it incorrectly. We promised it wrongly. That's not the promise Jesus gives us. What Jesus promises us is that there's nothing we can do and nothing that can be done to us that can separate us from the love of God in him. That there's nothing that we can do and nothing that can separate us from how much mercy that he gives us. And so no matter what you've done in your life, And no matter what's been done to you, the fact of the matter is God's love is perfect. And his perfect love casts out all fear. And what he's trying to say to us and what Paul was trying to say to the church in Philippi is this. Listen, it's not about you being perfect. Paul says, I've not already attained this. This is the goal I'm looking for. I press toward it because I'm in the process of being perfected. I'm in the process of of understanding that it's only when God takes control of my life that I can take hold of his life for me. Because you see, being perfected by God, it, it means allowing Jesus to take hold of us so that we can take hold of him. I have, a, I have this wonderful 18-month-old granddaughter, and she, um, she learned to walk a few months ago. And I have to tell you, I do not believe in reincarnation. It's theologically incorrect. I don't believe in it at all. But when that little girl walks in the room, my mother, who's been gone and been with Jesus for several years, I promise you, she's walking in that little baby, all right? When that little girl walks in the room, it's the stride, it's the way she looks. She walks in, my, my, my son came and goes, it's grandma. She came back, you know? And we're like, no, not really. But it is the power of DNA, we're convinced of that. But here's what I know about my little Mary Jojo. When Mary Jojo, because she's early in walking, 
when she's walking, as long as the ground's level, she's fine. But when the ground gets just a little bit rough, she begins to teeter. She, she begins to kind of trip over things. And, and what I've learned is this, because she is a Robinson, the DNA runs strong. She is a fiercely independent individual. And so I, 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 I just put my hand down. And here's what I know. She will reach and grab my hand because she is not making it in her walking. And when she reaches down and grabs my hand, then I have a chance to take hold of her. Until she reaches out to grab my hand, if I try to take her hand, no, Paul, no. I, 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 I really believe that you have a heavenly father who sent his one and only son to live on the face of this earth, to become flesh and blood, just like you and I are flesh and blood, to become someone who has to deal with all the pain and all the sorrow and, and all the joy and all the happiness and all the things that go into making a life. And when we, and when we, we live that life, we have to look at what it means to, to understand that the only way we make it through is not to be proud of our accomplishments, not to make our own plans, not to set our goals and say, here's what I'm going to do, but it is to say, Jesus, take hold of me so I can take hold of you. That doesn't mean you don't have a dreams. It doesn't mean you don't have goals. It means you, here's a real church word for you. I'll explain it in just a minute. It means you sanctify. What that really means is you set apart. And what you do is you say, these goals, these are the goals that I think God wants to do in my life. But God, listen, you're in control. You're the one who makes every day happen. You're the one who's going to be in my life. And what I want you to know is, God, here is my life. Take hold of me so that I can take hold of you. See, if you're the same person 10 years after you accepted Jesus as you were when you accepted Jesus. You've never let Jesus take hold of you. If you're the same person with the same faults and the same foibles, no, I know that they may still be there, but if they're at the same level, <laughs> 10 years after you bowed a knee and crossed the line of faith and said, hey, Jesus, I'm gonna give you my entire life. I, can I tell you something? You didn't really give him your entire life. There are things that, that you that you do before you come to Christ that you shouldn't be doing after you come to Christ. It does, it's not perfect. It's not immediate. Yesterday, I was uh, walking with the Anderson University football team and relaxed. I told this story, a couple players in here, I told this story this morning with, uh, with Coach Coddington sitting here first service, so we're good, all right? But as we're going onto the field, the guys did something, and there were a group of guys, some of them I played with and some of them were actually coaches with me who were standing there where the guys kind of got together, got ready to run out on the field. And as I'm coming up in the, the back of the line with a couple of the coaches and trainers, as I'm walking up, one of the, one of the guys who was one of my coaches, and I won't mention his name because he lives here in Anderson and some of you know him. But he, he looked at me and he goes, Reverend, Reverend. I knew he was up to something when he started calling me Reverend, all right? Reverend, Reverend, I just want to let you know, those boys said a bad word. I said, what bad word did they say? They said, hell, Reverend. 
I looked at him and said, and if I remember correctly, when I was playing and you were my coach, there were several times you pulled me off the field and said to me, Robinson, what the hell were you doing out there? Some of you just went, pastor said, hell in church. I did. But we probably ought to talk a little bit more about hell than we do these days. But my point to him was, what was funny was, all the guys that I played with that he helped coach us to, they were all standing there, and they're looking at him, and they're going, you did, you did. (laughs) He's going, I never said that. Oh, yeah, you did. Here's what I want you to know. Don't compare me at 18 to today. And for those of you who are 18, don't compare yourself and your dreams where you want to go because if you give Jesus hold of your life complete hold of your life then here's what you got to know you got to know that when he takes hold of you you can take hold of him and no matter what happens no matter how bad no matter how distraught no matter how deep the wounds are he will be with you and that's exactly what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi look I've not I've not attained all of this. I long for it. I I count everything else as, as garbage compared to knowing who Jesus is and knowing what he wants to do in my life. But I'm not perfect. One of my literary mentors was a, a guy named Howard Thurman. Dr. Thurman passed away 1980, 1981, somewhere in that time frame. One of my actual mentors, James Earl Massey, had given me a copy of this book called Jesus and the Disinherited. And um, when I read it, I was just captured by it. And then God in his sovereignty allowed me to pastor in Daytona Beach, Florida, where Whitechapel Church of God is located one mile from the boyhood home of Dr. Howard Thurman. And I've read every book that Howard Thurman has ever written. Dr. Thurman was, was one of the Uh, deans of the chapel at Marsh Chapel at Boston University. And when he was dean there, he, he would have chapel services where for the students, he would write these, these messages. He would write these like just little devotional thoughts that as you came into chapel, they would hand it to you. It wasn't an attendance card. It was just something for you to think about. They were later collected into a book called Meditations of the Heart as well as another revision of it called Deep is the Hunger. And in both of those books, they include this one meditation, this, this, this thought that, that Howard Thurman brought before the students at the university. And I'll be honest, it's taped next to my desk in my study here at the church. It was taped to my desk in my study in Daytona. And I first encountered it as a young pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, And it simply says this, oh God, I need you. I need your sense of time. Because my sense of time is is dulled. I'm always caught up in the chaos of the things going around me. God, I need your sense of time. And God, I need you. 
I need your sense of order in my life. I, I tend to put place, things in places that are not the right places. Things of unimportance end up becoming important to me. Things of importance I end up putting in unimportant places. Oh, God, I need your sense of order in my life. And God, I need you. I need your sense of time, your sense of order, and I need your sense of the future, without which all life would sicken and die. Because in your sense of the future, you keep alive in me the, the, the forward look, the onward hope, the, the desire to be who you want me to be. Oh God, I need your sense of the future. Oh God, I need you. That's what Paul's saying to the church in Philippi. That's what he's saying to us in the 21st century. Hey, listen, it's about letting God have control of your life to hold you in such a way that you can hold on to him so that even when you're like a little toddler on the ground and life has given you rough places and you're not sure where to go, you know that you are held by the hand of your heavenly father even if your earthly father's hand is what's causing you the problem and, and the abuse. Because when you have God's sense of time and God's sense of order, in God's sense of the future, then and only then do you have the strength to make it through your life. Because taking hold of Jesus gives us the strength to let go of the past, whether it's a good past or a bad past, and press on toward God's future for us. And God has a future for you. And I know some of you are looking at me going, well, pastor, at my age, I'm not sure I got many days left on the face of this earth, and, and I just need to let you know, you still have a future. I don't care if you're 98 years old and listening to me today, you have a future. And by the way, I picked 98 because the oldest person I know who's here is 94. All of us have a future. See, that's what Jesus came to give you, a future that lasts forever. You have a future. It's not just that you're 18 years old or 22 years old or 30 years old and you're making your life plan, you're gonna build your future. Listen to me, the, the, the stuff you said you would do at 18, those of us who've passed 18 a long time ago realize we probably didn't wanna do those things anyway. But when you hold on to Jesus because Jesus is holding on to you, he will open doors. He will open windows. He will show you things. He'll he will take 13-year-old boys driving a 1963 Ford Thunderbird backwards and grow them into men who love him and men who can teach their sons how to make custom cars that people all over the country want to see. He can take people like you and like me, with our frailties and our foibles and our imperfections, and he can say, I'm gonna make you more than you ever dreamed you could be. But I love the way Paul says it to him when he's wrapping up those verses. Did you hear it when I read it? 
he said, he said, you know, if some of you think differently about this, if anyone thinks differently than what I'm saying about what Jesus will do, just leave them alone. With time, they'll come to it. And I've, I've had a, a group of, of, well, the men's basketball team at Anderson University is going through our plant series. We started a couple of weeks ago so that we could get done before their season starts. And as we were going through it the other night, they, they began to teach me some language I didn't know. It's a little scary when college students teach you language you don't know. And they looked at me as we're going through, because it's all coming, this entire plant study is in the Gospel of John. And as we're going through, we got to a certain point, and one of them goes, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, what, what this means is we just, have to, we just have to let it cook. I said, what? No, we just have to let them cook. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Well, no, pastor, listen. We understand that there are some people who have a good idea, and there's some people who are just kind of wandering around trying to find it, and they don't get it right at first. But if you just let them cook, they'll be okay. I'm seeing some college students now who are going, Yeah, that's kind of what we mean, Pastor. <laughs> it's kind of not what we mean. But here's what I know the problem with us is we want to microwave everything instead of let it cook. We, we, wanna, we want instant. Christian credibility. We want instant perfection in holiness. We want instant success in our life. We, we want to graduate college, get our dream job, and be done. Just live the life. No, no, no. You have to let it cook. That's what a microwave does. It just tries to make it fast. But what a crock pot does is a crock pot lets it simmer and, and my mother used to use what was called a pressure cooker. Some of you guys have a pressure cooker. You remember the pressure cooker? Yeah. Yeah, pressure cooker. What, what I was always, my mother would like can green beans and she would use a, a pressure cooker and, and she'd put, that, put the beans in and put the water in and do all of that stuff and, and then it just started and you could hear it. Before it, before it would whistle, because it would always eventually have this whistle, but before it did, it would do this kind of, and it would let off stuff, right? Here's, here's what life is. This is what Paul is saying to the, to the Philippians. Hey, listen, there's going to be hard times. And no matter how great your achievements are, no matter how desperate you may be to get out of the situation, let it cook. Take a minute. Let God work in you. you, you you've, got, you've got the crux of a good idea, but just, just, just keep, letting it, keep letting it cook. Because here's the deal. If you do, Jesus' future for you will build your trust in God. Jesus, Jesus has a future for you. But the only way you're going to get it is to be able to trust him. Well, how do you trust God if you've never seen him, Pastor? Well, that's why we tell you about Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who told us, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And get this, for those of you who have stepped across the line of faith and you are believers in Jesus Christ, get this part. He says that you are now the body of Christ, which means if someone sees you, they see Jesus. But don't worry. Nobody expects you to be perfect. 
Jesus was the only perfect person who ever lived. And look what we did to him. But then look what he did for us. See, we crucified him. We made up stories about him. We falsely accused him. But then what he did was he died for us. Oh, in case you missed it, as he was hanging on that tree and dying, he looked down at all the people who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. My friend, Jesus never expects perfection from you. But what he does expect is for you to let him hold you so you can hold on to him. And you will see a future that has his sense of timing, his sense of order, his sense of joy, not the fear, the anxiety, the worry. No, 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 no. You will find peace that passes all understanding because you trust Jesus and he'll show you how to trust God. Would you stand with me? There's a beautiful song of praise that talks about what it means to always be with Jesus. Let's sing it together. Your kindness makes us 
you pray with me? Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to show us that we don't have to be perfect, to let us know that you love us, that you want to hold us so we can hold on to you, and that in that process, you will be perfecting us, and you will write a future for us that includes eternity with you, and nothing can separate us from that kind of love. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray, amen.